I knew like the piece that I got, I knew I could have died that day pretty easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't. So I knew that my life was spared for a reason. And even if that reason was just to be a dad and not be able to ever do anything for myself again, I, I knew that there was a reason and I had that peace that went through my that went through my body and my mind that um, you know life's not about me anymore. It's about my my kids. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Timsa Leadership Podcast. My name is Eric Claus, and once again, I have the honor to be able to be your host. I am so grateful that you joined us today for this amazing episode. And also, you can check this out on YouTube. This conversation today is with Jason Koger. Jason is a professional speaker, an author, and a mentor to many people across the world. His story is so inspiring, and I know that it will add value to all of you listening. Over 10 years ago, Jason had a devastating injury and as a result, lost both of his arms. Jason takes us on a journey about how his life has forever changed. We appreciate you joining us today, and we know you're going to enjoy this episode. Well, Jason, welcome to the Timsa Leadership Podcast, man. We are so excited that you're here. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. No, I'm excited to be here, too. I love sharing my story, and hopefully it will uh, it'll help some people out. Well, I know it will, and we're going to have a great time. For those that are listening to the podcast our plans are to put this on YouTube so they can kind of get a visual. And I know you're going to kind of show us a little bit about what's happening, but I can't help but notice your shirt. Can you kind of show it for the camera? Uh, so this was my first shirt my brother-in-law gave to me after I lost both hands. Uh, it says, look, ma, no hands. And then he gave me one that says, uh, don't shoot on an arm. Oh gosh, I can't wait to talk about your family because they're a big part of your your story. But um, when we start this, Jason, I would love for you to share the story that you told Lee and I when we were doing the kind of like the the pre-brief about. So you're out of the hospital. You're trying to figure out life. You know, you're you're trying to figure out how to adapt and what's the new norm. And you shared an event that happened in the store, and I would love for you to share that story with us. <laughs> so uh, when I first got home from losing both arms, uh, obviously, you know, I was trying to figure out life again. And uh, at the time, I had two daughters. Uh, my oldest was Billy Grace. She was uh, 21 months old, and my youngest was Campbell, and uh, Campbell was three months old at this time. And so anyway, our first trip to Owensboro, Kentucky, which is where I live, uh, my wife wanted to go to Hobby Lobby. So we decided to go to this Hobby Lobby, and I cannot stand the shop. So I told her, I said, well, I'll take Billy Grace because she's 21 months old. She can walk. I could hold her at the time, but Campbell was still in a car seat, so she was just going to ride in the shopping cart. And so I told uh, Jenny, I said, you take Campbell, I'll take Billy. We're just going to walk around and and do whatever when you're ready to go home we'll go so um we were i was actually holding billy in my nubs is what i call it. i didn't have prosthetics at the time uh so i had billy grace in my arm and 
we were walking down an aisle and she started kicking her feet. And, uh, you know, I was about to drop her. So I set her down on the ground real quick. And I said, Billy Grace, what are you doing? And, and she just had this big smile and went running away from me. And so I yelled at her and I said, Billy Grace, get back over here. And nobody was on this aisle but me and her. And, uh, and she was at the end of it at the time. And she turned around. She had this big smile on her face. And I tell people, when you watch a movie and everything's like slow motion and you got this little girl that's running to you to give you this big hug, kiss. And, you know, as a father, it's like the best feeling in the world that you got this little girl that loves you. And so she's running towards me in slow motion. And I got my arms or my nubs, you know, kind of out ready for her to jump in my arms. And she gets to me and she grabs me by my pants and she pulls my pants down to my ankles. So at that time, I'm like, oh, crap. I can't pull them up. I couldn't put my own clothes on at the time. And I'm like, Billy Grace, you got to pull my pants up. You got to pull my pants up. She ain't having it. So I'm like, crap, what do I do? It's like, I got to find Jenny, which I didn't know where she was. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to walk to the outside aisle because there won't be as many people probably. So I, I wobble as fast as I can, which I got pants down to my ankles. And I get to the very end and I turn to the right and I walk and walk and walk and like three or four rows back, I finally see Jenny and I'm like, Jenny, you got to pull my pants up. She turns around and she's like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I'm like, yeah, it's embarrassing. I just lost <laughs> my pants in the middle of Hobby Lobby. So she pulls my pants up and I tell her what happened and she's like, that is awful. And I was like, it could have been worse. And she was like, how can it be worse? Like, you lost your pants in the middle of Hobby Lobby. I said, well, at least my underwear stayed up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Would you told us that story, Neva? Now, I'm like, tears are running down my, my face. That is absolutely crazy. Well, we appreciate you sharing that. And uh, I know the, the participants are going to love that. And, you know, Jason, one of the things that stood out before we get into your story was, your attitude is unbelievable, and I can't wait to unpack really a lot of that. But before we dive into that, will you kind of share a little bit about your experience growing up? Because you have an incredible family unit, and just kind of walk us through you, what it was like growing up. Who were some of the influences that uh, really helped shape you into the man that you are today? Yeah, so um, I'm from Owensboro, Kentucky. Actually, I live in Utica, Kentucky, which is just right outside of Owensboro. I'm probably about uh, seven or eight miles from town, you know, in the county. And, and where I grew up, uh, it was my mom and dad's house. My dad built this house in, uh, uh, in 1980. And then right next door to my house is my uncle, uh, which I had a cousin that's my age that lived there. Right next door to him is my grandfather which is my mom's dad. Right next to him is my other uncle, which I have a cousin that's a year older than us. And, and then around my house, uh, my grandfather and them farm about 2,300 acres of corn and soybeans. So we have a lot of area to, to run around, ride four-wheelers, just, you know, uh, just be able to kind of do what we wanted as kids, you know. And, and uh, growing up, I always had this, this thought that, you know, one of these days, I'm going to buy my mom and dad's house, and my cousin's going to move back out here, and my other cousin, and we're going to raise our kids the same way we were raised up. And 
Um, you know, everybody on my neighbor in my neighborhood uh, has been here my entire life. So nobody, once people move out here, they stay here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says a lot about the neighborhood. You know, everybody takes care of each other. And, uh, you know, if you see somebody that's in a bind doing something across the street, you go over and help. You don't expect money or, or whatever. You just kind of do that for everybody. And uh, But my dad, uh, he was raised up pretty poor. You know, as my dad, uh, I got three uncles and an aunt. Uh, so, you know, his brothers and sisters and my grandfather, uh, Papa Coger, and my grandmother never owned their own house. They were they were raised really poor. Uh, my dad's been a self-provider since he was about the age of 14, working in tobacco patches and uh, literally driving, you know, before he was 16 years old, he'd drive to work and all that kind of stuff. And then my dad uh, joined the Army and he became a drill sergeant in the Army and uh, so my dad's always been that person that you could not tell him he couldn't do something because he's going to show you he can. Uh, he worked extremely hard at everything he did. He uh, would set goals and he would make sure he reached those goals. And I really didn't realize any of that until, you know, now, until adulthood. I never noticed that my dad had all these plans and so my dad started a construction company in 1984. He had $1,500 to his name. That's all he had and uh, was very successful. And he was very successful for many reasons. He set a goal and he's a, definitely a hard worker. And he always told people what he would do and he would never back down from his word. Um, you know, nowadays it kind of can get you in a bind if you don't have a signed contract with somebody. But my dad would shake your hand, and if he told you he's going to do something, I don't care if it cost him money or not, he did it. Like, that's just the way he was raised. Um, and obviously, all that has helped me be who I am today. And, and you know, I think back when I was a kid, I would have never imagined that I would have gone through what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And I would have never imagined how could a person get through what I've gone through. But now that I've done that, it makes me go back to my early age and understand that everything that my parents have taught me and the way they lived their life has definitely molded me into the person I am today. And, you know, I hear people say that, that I'm inspiring, that I'm strong, that people couldn't do what I've done. All I did was I made a decision that I wanted to be uh, successful. I wanted to be a successful amputee. I wanted to be able to, to do everything I wanted to do before. I wanted to be the same dad I was. Um, I didn't want an accident or losing my arms to define who I was. Yeah, That's what I didn't want. And uh, and I don't know if I told you the story, but, and I know we're gonna get into the day of my accident, but my grandfather, my mom's dad, he passed away probably three months before I got hurt. Okay. And he, he was a single arm amputee. He was the only upper limb amputee that I've ever seen in my life. And I felt like he was the first amputee in the world. And I was the second. Okay. I've never seen anybody like this. Wow. You worked, I'm sure you worked your butt off on the farm and it was expected of you. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, I worked on the farm some, uh, but I worked with my dad a lot. So my dad, okay. You know, when he started his construction company, 
um, as a little boy, I always wanted to be with my dad. Yeah. So I went to work with my dad all the time, even at, you know, four, five, six years old. I mm-hmm. remember in the truck and going and, you know, I, I started out with, I was the person that swept the floors and uh, I did whatever he wanted me to do. Um, and, and I continued that from a very young age until the day I got hurt. Uh, and, and, and I say that because I'm talking about manual labor. Uh, obviously, whenever I got hurt, my, my job title and the things I do now has totally changed because now I just share my story and talk to people and give speeches. And I work with, uh, you know, the Bionic Hand Company and, and all that kind of stuff. But when I'm, and when I'm home, I'm always doing something. You know, I have a farm of my own now that I hunt on. Uh, it's, uh, almost 300 acres. I like to bush hog. I like to plant food plots. I like doing all that kind of stuff. Cause I love being busy. I love, I just, I love working on stuff. Yeah, Jason, I'm so glad you talked about that because I think that's such an important part of your story is when you, when you were hurt, you already had the work ethic and and you knew from growing up that nothing was going to come easy, that you were going to have to do it. You were going to have to sweep the floors, right? You were going to have to get down and you were going to have to, you know, it, it wasn't an accident that you're successful, you know, just based on your unit and your family and everything you've, you've been through. And so let's go ahead and jump into the story on what exactly happened. And if you don't mind, go ahead and hold up. If you don't mind, hold up your your arms and show everybody here. Watch this. Absolutely fascinating. We got so much to unpack on that. But so, um, so I also go. have uh, bionic hands and I'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, I don't have them on right now. You're going to laugh about this, but um, even even body powered hooks are going to break. You're going to break cables if you're very active. Um, and yesterday I actually broke my thumb. So, <laughs> wow. so they're, they're mailing me a thumb right now. And actually I got an email saying that my thumb's going to be here today. Uh, and then all I do is most people don't know how to replace them, but I do. So I will replace my own thumb and it won't take 20 minutes, 10 minutes. And then I'll, I'll be up and going again. So the reason I don't have my body powered, I mean, my myoelectrics on right now is because the thumb's not working. So I got the body powered on right now. Yes. Wow. This is, uh, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, let's dig into it, man. We have so much to unpack and uh, take us back to that day. Yeah. So uh, before March 1st, 2008, uh, we were working a bunch of hours and uh, at a place called TVA, which is a, a power plant. And my dad owns his own company, like I said, so I was working for my dad, but we were working at a uh, at a power plant where we was working at, not very far from my house, probably 45 minutes from my home. And uh, we were working 712s for um, probably almost a year, maybe a little longer than a year so. Uh, I was working a lot of hours and and I keep going back to this too because I think obviously I didn't even share that another big part of my success is my faith. Um, and, and I feel like God has plans for everybody and sometimes we don't understand why we go through certain things and um, 
I think that that people do not need to dwell on why this happened. You just got to figure out your purpose because we all have a purpose. Um, so here I was working seven, twelves uh, with two young young daughters. Uh, actually, I just bought my mom and dad's house, so I was starting to do what I wanted to do as a kid, which is, you know, live in my mom and dad's house, let them move to town, something smaller, and me and my cousins be back out here where I where I was raised up. Um, but working seven twelves, I was making a lot of money, right? I didn't have time to spend money, you know, so I was making. Uh, I was in a union. I was a union pipe fitter. So I was making really good wages anyway on regular time. Then you got overtime. Then you got holiday pay and triple time. And so, I mean, I was making really good money. And what I was doing was I was putting that money towards my home because I wanted to pay my house off as fast as I could. So I was putting two or three times as much on my house trying to get the loan down to nothing. Uh, by the time March 1st of 2008 happened, I almost had my house paid for. Uh, I was 29 years old. And I think back at that, the reason I say that is because that must have been the plan to have something almost paid for that I didn't have to worry about. Was I gonna lose my home? Was I gonna be able to still stay where I was? It was kind of almost taken care of before March 1st, 2008. Uh, but on March 1st, 2008 was one of the first days I was off work. Um, I decided that I woke up that morning and, and my wife obviously had a lot of chores for me to do around the house. And uh, in Owensboro at the mall, there was a, uh, a little train ride you could go on, like a little kitty train ride. And I told, I told Jenny, I was like, hey, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to take the girls to the mall and, and put them on this little train ride. So we went to the mall and I met my sister there actually. And she has a daughter that's in between my two daughters age. So Billy Grace again, 21 months old, Campbell's three months old. Go to the mall, go on this little train ride, come home. When we get home, I told my wife, I said, hey, I'm gonna put the kids down for a nap. And I said, I'm gonna kinda uh, just do some honey door, do chores or whatever. And, and really, I know I'm going to talk about my book later. I go into a lot more detail in my book. But uh, some people had came over. My my wife's brother was about to get married. Uh, my wife was a graphic design major, so she was going to make wedding invitations for her brother and fixing to be uh, sister-in-law. So, uh, so they came over, and she had a couple kids, her brother and a couple friends with them. And I, I don't know how old they were at the time, maybe eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, so anyway, they come in, and I tell uh, my wife, I said, hey, while y'all are working on the computer, me and the boys are going to go outside and play a little basketball. We're going to do something. So, Because I love kids. I mean, I absolutely love being around kids. So we go out in the driveway and play a little bit of basketball, and, and then one of them said something about, hey, let's go on a four-wheeler ride. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll take you around my grandfather's farm. And I know I already said this, but you got my house, my uncle's house, my grandfather's house, my other uncle's house. If you leave my house and go behind my house, um, there's a gravel lane. It's just an old farm road to get to the fields, but it's a U-shape and it ends up at my grandfather's. 
So I told the boys, I was like, hey, we'll just go ride around the farm real quick. It's going to be a 10-minute ride, five-minute ride. We'll come home. I'm going to do some work around the house. No big deal. So we go on this ride, um, and people's got to remember, I've been around this farm for 29 years. Uh, every single day I've been around the farm, so I've been around this farm millions of times, probably billions of times, you know. So I know, and I tell people, it's just like when you go to your home, and you wake up in the middle of the night, and you want to go use the bathroom, you don't have to worry about, are you going to trip over your shoes, or you have to turn the light on because you know your house well enough, you can walk to the bathroom in the dark, do your business, walk out, go to bed, no big deal. I felt the same way going around my grandfather's farm. So I'm kind of like looking across the field and just kind of going slow. Long and short, there's the U-shape, the second turn. Uh, there's a culvert there. It's the only place you can cross. And whenever I got to that culvert, I had noticed uh, right there at the last moment that there was a line, didn't know what it was, uh, but this line hit me and landed in between my chest and my handlebars on my four-wheeler. I looked over and I noticed it was a down power line. Um, but I also noticed that that line went to a field pump, which is how you take, when it floods, you take water out of the field. Well, in March, there's no crops. So the first thing that goes through my mind is, there's no power to this line, right? It goes to the field pump. Somebody's got it turned off. But then in, in the back of my mind as well, I'm like, everybody says when you're on rubber tires, you have nothing to worry about either. So I'm telling the kids, don't touch anything. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what I can do. And the only thing I can do to get off this line, I had to raise it up to back up, go forward, because it was stuck between my handlebars and my body. Um, but I noticed over the hill that my cousin was outside. So I got, I got off the line, went to my cousin's house, brought him back down there. I said, hey, I need to show you this line that's down. I'm afraid that there's some kids in our neighborhood that may go on a four-wheeler ride running wide open. And at that moment, I was thinking about nothing but decapitation. You know, the line's 30 inches off the ground. Somebody hits it fast enough, hits them in their neck kills them. And so I take my cousin back down there and I'm like, man, and this is where it kind of gets a little fuzzy in my memory, but I remember looking at him and saying, and I wasn't even that close to the line, me looking at him and saying, I wish that line was this high. And when I did that, I either touched or I was close enough that the power jumped. Why I didn't do it the first time, I have no idea, but I took 7,200 volts of electricity and I try to tell people 7,200 volts of electricity was enough that it shut my whole neighborhood down. Um, actually, I know you're grounded different, but the electric chair is only 6,800. I took more than the electric chair. I remember the vibration of the power going through my body, but everything was dark. Um, it was enough power that it stopped my heart for 30 seconds. And the reason I know this now is because when you get electrocuted, the power doesn't shut off for 30 seconds and then it, it'll kick the breaker. So they know that my heart had stopped the entire time I was electrocuted, which was for 30 seconds. And then it shot me off the back. And when I hit the ground, I hit the ground hard enough that it started my heart back up, which is when I woke up. 
Um, immediately, I felt like I was on fire. I felt like I wanted to climb down in a ditch to cool off because when you get electrocuted, it actually burns you from the inside out. Um, I remember my cousin trying to get me out of the ditch. I remember the ambulance coming. I remember the fire department coming, the police coming. I remember getting loaded up in the, into the uh, ambulance. I remember my wife being there with me. And I remember me trying to keep her calm. And me saying, and, and I'll never forget me saying, everything's going to be okay. And I remember looking down at my left thumb, and my left thumb was just barely hanging on. I knew I was going to lose my left thumb. And I remember telling my wife, I'm going to lose my left thumb. It was basically gone anyway. And I said, uh, you know, my, and I told you a minute ago, my grandfather passed away three months before. And I told my wife right then, I said, Papa lost his entire arm and I'm just going to lose my thumb. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, and I know when I say that, everybody's like, oh, you were pretty calm. I said, no, I was hurting, but I just was being, I, I don't know if I was trying to calm myself down, calm her down, but I just remember thinking over and over, I watched my grandfather farm. I watched him do tobacco. I watched him pick up hay bales. I watched him use tools uh, without an arm. He had a prosthetic, but I'm not going to whine and cry about a thumb. Yeah. I remember getting to Owensboro Hospital um, and, uh, and and getting admitted into Owensboro. And and I don't know if there's any questions before I get from Owensboro. I want to kind of take a pause for just a second for the healthcare providers, for, for the people that are not healthcare and then the healthcare providers. So, you know, you are a patient and the only thing you can see is what you physically see is your thumb. But what you're not realizing at the time that the injury is actually occurring inside of your body, which obviously, as you can see from, you know, your arms. Um, so at what point did you realize this is much bigger than a thumb injury? Um, so several days. Um, really? Okay. And, and I um, guess probably that's probably... Uh, getting from Owensboro to Nashville is probably the next part of the story because I didn't know, you know, I was confused. Okay. Um, I go into the emergency room in, in Owensboro hospital and I have doctors and surgeons rushing in and out. Okay. And, and the way they were coming in and out in a hurry, I, I knew that something was not right. It, it's it was more than just my thumb just okay. just from everybody being in such a panic right um i remember the the doctor er doctor coming in and i remember him saying we have to get this kid out of here mm-hmm. uh, and i and i remember him telling my wife we have to get your your husband to a burn unit we have called vanderbilt hospital burn unit and we've called Louisville, Kentucky. And whoever calls us back first is where your husband's going. We have a helicopter on its way to pick him up and we will life flight him at one of the two places. And I remember hearing that and and I also remember T 
telling them and thinking that, hey, I would rather go to Nashville because my dad's doctors was in Nashville. I know people in Nashville. I don't know that many people in Louisville. And I remember saying, let's just go to Nashville. And them saying, son, you don't understand. It's whoever calls us back first is where you're going. Um, luckily, Vanderbilt called uh, called back first and, uh, and accepted me to come to Vanderbilt Hospital. And I was immediately put into the helicopter uh, and on my way to Nashville. And it's interesting because where my... Uh, where my accident was is just south of the hospital. Okay. Nashville is south of my house. So I remember getting in a helicopter and, and flying over top of where I got hurt. And I remember my left shoulder looking out the window and seeing everybody still at the scene where I got hurt at on my way to Nashville. Uh, but I remember also asking the nurses on the, on the helicopters, like, why are we going to Nashville? Like, I don't understand. It's just my thumb. I don't understand why I can't be in that in Owensboro. Um, and, and every response that I got was everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. That's it. That's all I knew. Um, obviously in the helicopter, they prepped me and got me ready for surgery. Um, they put a, uh, a pick in my juggler vein to put the medicine in. Um, they cathed me in the helicopter. And that was one of them things that I remember seeing is when they cathed me, I remember seeing the bag, the urine bag, and my urine collecting in there looked like Dr. Pepper. It was that dark. I didn't know what that was. Um, I, I know what that is now, but I didn't know what that was at the time. Uh, I remember getting to uh, Nashville, getting unloaded, and going into a room that reminded me of a morgue. Everything was stainless steel. Uh, I had no clue where I was. And that room that I went into was hydro. And hydro is where they take a pressure washer and they wash your dead skin off of you. Now, I guess stepping back just for a minute, whenever I looked at my hands, my hands looked like a stroke victim. They were curled up. I couldn't straighten them. I didn't know what that was, but basically every tendon in my finger was popped like rubber bands and they found my tendons wrapped around my wrist on both hands. So my fingers would have never worked. Anyway, um, I have recently found out so much stuff. When you get electrocuted, it burns you from the inside out. It causes poisonous toxins and blood in your body. Um, that has to go somewhere. It goes through your kidneys, which is why my kid, my urine was so dark. So my kidneys were shutting down. Um, I found out that that you know all my ten, all ten tendons were popped like rubber bands. Uh, I found out that um, when you get electrocuted, it burns you from the inside out. You got, you know, you get burns. My whole right arm was third degree burns. So I had skin graft on my whole entire right arm. I remember seeing it. Um, and I remember seeing that it was uh, kind of swollen and uh, almost looked like there a really bad sunburn with even liquid underneath the skin, like, a, uh, you know, just a really bad burn. And it was white, you know, like dead skin. I didn't know what it was at the time. 
Um, so, so I found a bunch of that kind of stuff out after I woke up. But as soon as I got to Vanderbilt, they waited on my wife to sign release forms to amputate whatever they had to amputate, do a blood transfusion, uh, and and take me to to surgery. So I was immediately once they signed papers, I was put into an induced coma. Uh, I was in a induced coma for three days. Uh, they amputated both arms immediately that night, uh, but I had no idea. So in my mind, I'm just thinking that it's my thumb and that's it. Okay. Three days later. Man, Jason, th this is a lot to unpack. I wanted to, I wanted to go back from a healthcare provider standpoint. I have, and many of the people that are on and listening, have picked up people that have been burned. And in my opinion, truly, this is just an opinion. There, there are some categories of of bad things. I have always had a difficult time communicating with severely burned patients because, on numerous occasions. And I apologize for people listening to this of uh, the graphic, uh, this being in nature is communicating with burn patients that have no idea they're burned severe as they are and asking if they're going to be okay. And the answer coming out as in we're going to do everything we can to help you, but in the back of our mind, knowing that the patient is not going to survive. Yep. That is very difficult. And I put myself in the positions of the providers that are trying to inject hope into you, you not realizing it, and maybe that was a good thing, maybe not. But my question for you is, is there anything through the providers up into the point when you went into surgery that you wish someone would have told you or something that they said that they wish they wouldn't have told you? Does anything come to mind? No, I mean, you know, I still keep in touch with um, all my burn nurses and and Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Guy was my doctor and I still talk to him all the time. You know, we text and talk and um, no, I think I think that they definitely kept me very calm. OK. Uh, you know, I, I don't think some people may think uh, why didn't they just tell me the truth of that moment that I was going to lose my arms? Maybe they didn't know, you know what I mean? Maybe there was uh, an opportunity to save my arms. And, and matter of fact, you know, they thought about looking at my legs because it, the electric came out of my right foot. It blew my tennis shoe. They found my tennis shoe 30 feet from where I was. Okay. So what if they would have told me, hey, you're not going to lose your arms, but you're going to lose your leg. And I wake up three days later with a leg and no arms. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, until you know, I guess, what is actually going to happen. I think the best thing that they did was they kept me calm and they explained enough to me to know it was serious, uh, but enough to keep me calm. And okay and feel like that everything was going to be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, and maybe that's a personal, uh, thought. I mean, everybody thinks different, you know, and everybody has that opportunity to, to think different. I have people all the time that has lost limbs and say, I'm never going to be as good as you. And all it is, is, is making your mind up. It, it's yeah. not, I'm Superman. I'm not Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. 
I made my mind up and I wanted to be successful and anybody can do that in okay. any profession or any situation. Um, I really didn't do anything that was special except for wanting to live. Yeah. And we're, we're definitely going to talk about that. I really appreciate you sharing that experience about the healthcare providers just because of that's a difficult position for us to be in and, and providing hope and staying calm are key points that I certainly took away from that. Yep. So you go you go to surgery, you wake up. When do you realize you have no, you know, lower arms and what's going through your mind? So um, they put me in an induced coma for three days and I went through uh, multiple amputations uh, for the first three days. I mean, sometimes multiple times a day. Okay. Uh, because they were trying to get the infection to, ki- uh, to clear my kidneys up. That's okay. why I hated it. Um, and, and I have a lot of different uh, perspectives on a lot of different stuff now that I know what I know now, and I really try to put myself in front of as many people as I can. Um, but, you know, Dr. Guy tried to keep my limbs as long as he possibly could. Uh, now that I know what I know, especially as a bilateral arm amputee, if he would have amputated me at the wrist, uh, some of the technology that I have now, I would not be able to have okay. because of length. Uh, I am very grateful that he amputated where he amputated. I mean, I, I guess I got lucky to amputate at the level that I'm amputated at so that I can have multiple um technology options and opportunities because uh, some people won't because of being too long or whatever. But I wake up from uh, an induced coma three days after my accident. I was strapped to a bed because I actually had a fracture in my neck and my back as well. Um, obviously, you know, you're drowsy. And I remember seeing my nurse and I remember asking for my parents. I remember saying, you know, where's my dad? And this goes back to watching my dad and my mom and understanding that if my mom and dad says something's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. That was just, that's always been my piece of knowing that if they say it's going to be all right, it's going to be all right. You know what I mean? And I, sometimes people need that. Uh, so I remember asking for my parents and I remember my, my dad coming in the room and sitting down with me. I had no clue. I didn't have arms. Uh, <laughs> I can still feel them, you know, and uh, my dad sitting down next to me and, and him saying, you know, exactly how he said it was, Jason, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but we will. We've always had faith. Um, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be it's going to be ups and downs. But in order to save your life, they had to amputate both your arms. We want to thank you for joining us for part one of this amazing conversation with Jason, the powerful conclusion we will be sharing with you in the near future. Thank you for all that you do, and we look forward to visiting with you again soon.